Hey, it's Travis. How's your December going? I hope it's going well. Mine is going pretty good. Lots of exciting hotel stuff in the works. First, a big, big thank you to all the fans who submitted their voices to the countdown for this month's episodes. You all sound great. It was a lot of fun hearing from you. If you didn't submit your voice to the countdown, you're still here for the party since you're listening right now. So thanks for joining us. I hope you're all with us for part two on New Year's Eve and on through 2022. Hey, speaking of 2022, in January, we're back to our regular first and 15th schedule, so you get back-to-back episodes. You're welcome. Also in January, we're launching a new Midnight Disease newsletter with show updates, merch announcements, social media highlights, that kind of stuff, for all the Midnight Disease shows, including the hotel. So go to midnightdisease.net and sign up on the front page. While you're there, please consider supporting us with our new $1 a month tier. All our shows are brought to you by independent artists, and every dollar helps continue to bring you these shows every month. Go to midnightdisease.net slash join to support us. And we still have the $5 tier if you want early access and that sweet, sweet ad-free sound. And for all our listeners, I'm glad to finally announce that we are going to be putting all our music from Theater of Tomorrow, and yes, the hotel, up on Spotify. We're trying to get that available to you all on the 20th. In the meantime, I'm very excited for you to get to hear this episode. Please enjoy. And know that if you're having a rough time this holiday season, at least you're doing better than Robert Watson is. Snow is falling. It's been falling for a while. A long while, judging by the thick white slabs covering the grounds. Not the driveway, of course. That's clean and salted. And the snow doesn't ever quite seem to land there. Sudden flurries sweep the softly falling clumps away at the last minute, and they fall sheepishly on the lawn. Beyond the driveway is a forest, devoid of leaf or flower, Rows and rows of dark wooded trees sagging under the growing weight of the snow and ice. Beyond that, nothing. Maybe. Just gray snowstorms and howling wind that threaten to get closer as the evening light dies, as all things do at the hotel. The early evening light makes everything look gray. Blue night has been half-heartedly trying to break for hours. For hours, I've been standing in the lobby, looking at floor-to-ceiling windows onto a hostile, frozen scene. I can feel something out there. It's coming to us here. A guest, I expect. What else could it be? The side of my head tingles. Something like fear stirs somewhere inside me. Or inside the hotel. It's vast today. In the hours I've had here, I've explored as much of it as I could. It's not uncommon to have to wait for a guest. Sometimes the hotel seems to want to give the staff... experiences. Training, perhaps. 
but it's not often I have idle hours to fill. I filled them tonight by familiarizing myself with her new form. The lobby itself could house a small motel. Clean, polished wood and modern accents make up the bulk of the aesthetic. But heavy masonry is built into the corners and support beams around the door frames. As though the entire building had once been made of stone, and as it fell to ruin it had been rebuilt with wood, then concrete and steel. Most of the doors are either heavy wood or heavy glass. The chandelier looks like a whalebone, or elk antlers, something white and powdery that used to be part of something alive. When the evening light succumbs tonight, we'll have mostly gas lamps and a cavernous fireplace to illuminate us. Bathed in fire, wrapped in stone, yet neon lights sneak through the decor like veins of burning ore. There's a stillness to the air that leaves you constantly waiting for a natural echo that never comes. My uniform is sharp and crisp, and my bone-shell white shirt cuts the dark fabric of my jacket and wrists. I've been here for hours, and I'm still living flesh. Not a touch of rot or hint of decay. Life seems to cling to me like the insistent twilight outside. I'm dressed black tie formal, elegant and fabulous. It must be for tonight. It can only be for tonight. I decide to once again walk the hotel's many ballrooms, each with colorful, comforting names. The Whale Song Room. The Banker's Envy Room. The Watch and Clock Room. But it's the ballroom nearest the lobby that I spend the most time in tonight while I wait and watch. The Bee and Pollen Room is our grandest ballroom, and it is nothing short of resplendent. This room is filled corner to corner with dazzling decoration, tacky and luxurious alike for tonight's New Year's Eve party. Festooned with silver tinsel, golden twirling foil, and streamers and curtains in almost every shade of purple. Neon lights populate the entire room here, too. The bar, of course, only has a top shelf, and any guest who drinks will find it bottomless. On my way back to the lobby, I pass by the supply closet door, small and out of the way next to the bee and pollen room. I hear him pacing again, short, shuffling steps, a metronome of anxiety. I put my hand on the door lightly, and the meter stops. The light outside finally sinks behind the tree line. He must have sensed it. I feel it too. A charge in the air that doesn't come with dusk or snow or even a changing year. I wait behind my polished mahogany desk, which runs almost the entire length of the lobby tonight. I check the slot in the private office door, but it still has not produced a check-in card. 
I wonder if we've ever checked in guests without cards before. And my face tingles again. Fortunately, before I can remember anything at all, the guest is suddenly in my lobby. The large glass doors are slowly swinging shut behind him, but I don't recall hearing them open. He's a slender man, with a slender face, and his round glasses are topped with curly black hair. He's got a vest and suit, old-fashioned, but stylish. He doesn't have any bags, but at least he's dressed for a party. I welcome him and beckon him to my desk. Oh, please, finish taking care of the gentleman ahead of me. I tell him there's no one here but him. The other party guests haven't arrived. He seems lost for a moment, confused. He accepts it, but I sense reluctance in him. Or apprehension. Part of my job is managing problems. I present him with the guest book, its pages clean and waiting to be filled by tonight's check-ins. I find myself eager to begin after so many hours of wandering in silence, except for the wind howling silencively through the trees. I ask his name, and he eyes me warily. He takes the quill pen by the book in hand. Robert... But something stops him again. Watson. He looks around the lobby. Then behind me, seeking something. You don't have a phone. Huh. He still hasn't signed his name. I ask if he's expecting a call. No. Just wondering about reservations. I ask him if he has a reservation. He stares at me for a long moment, before setting the pen down carefully. He looks out the large lobby windows with eyes almost as big as they are, and sees something he does not like. In my gentlest voice, my best affectation of sincerity, I tell him it's alright if he doesn't. He can just sign the guest book, and I will be happy to check him in. He's still frozen, looking out into the storm, into the night. Does... does he know he can't go back? Does he know what lies ahead? Or is he expecting to see someone else walk through that door and save him? Nine! High above the hotel, looking down, I can see its full shape. It's a sharp and boxy twist of a building. Parts stick out at odd angles, and differing architectural styles clash for dominance over the silhouette. The wind blows stings of ice into my eyes, and as I squint against the pane, the hotel seems to change shape against the storm. The battle for dominance is a losing battle, like all battles here. 
I must be a hundred feet above the tallest tower sprouting from the roof, and I still can't see the end of the forest, nor a break in the storm. I spent hours in my office, waiting for the file on tonight's guest. I let hours slide over me like mercury, the poison of each minute dying behind me. I heard the manager roaming on and on and on, and took a walkabout of my own, exploring the grounds. I found nothing out of place. Rooms stocked and waiting for a mountain of guests. Care packages left on each bed. Our best ballroom, distractingly garnished for midnight. Midnight. As if in response to my doubt that it will ever come, night folds over the day and files it away. I return to my office, knowing now that when the guests arrive, I will not know them. As soon as I step into my private office, I hear muffled voices in the lobby. No file. No check-in card. I remove my snow-covered overcoat, taking no warm comfort in my correct assumptions. After a long silence in the muted conversation, I decide matters tonight will require my firm hand, and stoop slightly as I step out of my office to greet tonight's guest. He's standing in the lobby, staring out the windows, and before I can say a word, the manager holds her hand up, just slightly, and I slow myself. I bid him good evening, but it takes him a moment to notice me. His face goes ashen. Bathroom? Bathroom? The manager explains his room will have its own private bathroom. She attempts to coax him away from his own thoughts as he stares at me and mutters to himself. I truly hope so. I come around to the front of the desk to help usher him in, to pull him darkly forward, and this finally cracks his focus. I choke out a smile for this sweaty slip of a man. He quickly requests a room, taking steps back from me. An angry thought snarls its way across my mind. This is what the staff is for. This is why they are needed. The manager retrieves a key from beneath the desk and rings that damned bell. And I know what follows after. Ace! I just wanted out. It's been so long in the dark, I... I stepped out, and there were giant rooms and lights everywhere. I couldn't see. My eyes hurt and wanted to be back in the dark. They're the only part of me that wanted to go back, though. In there. Breathing that hot, close, musty air. Blind. I just walk toward the sound of the desk bell and the voices. The hotel is so big today and so pretty. 
I can tell it's pretty when my eyes stop hurting. I'm glad the lobby will take a long time to walk across. More time to... to see. More time to breathe. But then... I see something that makes me stop breathing again. The owner. Towering over everyone in a dark, chunky suit. It makes him look like he's puffed up with anger. He always is when I'm around. He's not glaring at me this time, though. His lips are shut tight, and his brows are so low over his eyes, I I almost can't see them. He's glaring at the guest. The guest is staring back, and his eyes are huge. And he's sweating a lot. They don't normally look this scared yet. My manager is holding out her hand to me. It's only so the guest knows I'm here. Explaining how I'll take him to his room. But for just one second... It looks almost like she is holding her hand out to me. Yes, left alone. I wish to be left alone as well. She's nodding and agreeing with him, and snaps her fingers at me so I know to hurry up. I glance over at the owner, but I don't want to look any higher up than his chest. I peek at his golden shirt and his black tie, and I can tell he's looking at me. I hold my hand out like my manager's hand and Hold it out towards the elevator. It's like we're one long arm, helping the guest together. Neither do I. You're welcome. I say thank you, even though I I don't understand. I guess he didn't notice me much before, but he sees me now. He's looking at me now. Inside the elevator, he doesn't stop staring at me. I don't know what he wants. I I don't know what he wants me to do. I think I must look awful because he won't stop staring. But I see my reflection in the shiny doors as they open and... I can't understand what I see. No. No. No rotten flesh or sagging eyes. My red outfit and hat pressed. My buttons shining. The hotel is strange tonight. 
and this, this guest is stranger. I rush down the hall to the guest room. He's halfway down the hall, walking slowly. Guests like when I do things for them. Sometimes they're nicer to me after, so I'll open his door for him. But as soon as I grab the doorknob to his room, he yells, No! No, 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 no! And runs back to the elevator. There's somebody in there. I... I open the door for him so he can see, but... I didn't build this room, so... I don't know there's no one in the room. But he won't be able to see if there is. Not yet, anyway. Not... Unless the hotel decides he can. The first floor. I want to go to the first floor. I don't understand what he's afraid of. If he knew where he was, he would be much more afraid. If he knew where he was, he... He wouldn't think it was safer down there. With them. I'm not here to understand, though. I'm here to serve the guests, and my manager, and the hotel. This time on the elevator, he lets me push the buttons. He stands in the corner, trying to get as far away from me as possible. The elevator is slow. Much slower than it was going up. I feel like the hotel is, is choking on us, trying to swallow us, but for some reason, we won't obey. Gagging and smothering like in the closet, like in this elevator, no air, no movement, no freedom. Be only minutes from death. Seven. I hear him screaming before the elevator doors open. He practically falls out and stumble runs into the lobby, looking everywhere for I don't know what. Mr. Watson has the look of a man nearing the physical limits of his sanity. I've seen the look before. Many times and many guests. I can't always predict which one's minds will break before we break their bodies, but when it happens, it almost always looks the same. My body, oddly, remains unbroken still. Tonight the staff rots slowly or not at all, it seems. I put on my best guest service smile and make sure he can see all my teeth. I ask him if he needs help with anything. I ask him if everything is alright. No! 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 He says. Whatever happened on the second story haunts him still. The owner didn't know Mr. Watson was going to be our guest tonight. He wants to take his sapless frustration out on him. But, as usual, 
it's my lobby boy who feels the boot heel. Dressed up as an apology to the guest, he furies at my poor lobby boy, still trying to hide in the elevator. He spits stiff condemnations of poor service while his polished shoes claw the floor. Whatever power the hotel allows him to think he wields, in my lobby all fury yields to decorum and service. I apologize to Mr. Watson, lowering my voice to an icier register that cuts through the owner's crowing. I let the silence stand with us for a moment. A memorial reminder of the guests that may soon join us for the festivities. May they be easier to handle than Robert Watson. One night, I guess, yes. Just one night, I suppose. Carefully. Carefully now. He's fixing his jacket and running his hand through his thick, curly hair, but he's still trembling. His eyes are dark pools of bottomless fear. Despair, anxiety, they jitter behind his glasses and beg me for this to all be over. And I know this is the eye of the storm. And when it breaks again, there may be no end but a violent one. I offer Mr. Watson the bee and pollen room to wait in. He can start the party early if he likes, calm his nerves with a drink. I can't tell if he's considering my offer or listening to something far away. Maybe the snowstorm outside. Maybe something the hotel wants only him to hear. In there? I do. I will. Excellent. I snap my fingers, and practically before I'm finished, my lobby boy is shambling over to escort Mr. Watson to the Bee and Pollen Ballroom. He's almost as afraid as the guest is, but he obeys without hesitation. He manages his fear better than the owner manages his anger. Fear, not anger, is how we serve the hotel. It's why my lobby boy is reliable, and why I prefer the owner stick to his paperwork and reports. It's why I stiffen when the owner steps in and offers to escort the guest instead. Space! I need to get control of the situation. I need to step in. The lobby boy has already made a mess of things, and the manager may soon have new guests to attend. This blister of a being has distracted us long enough. The lobby boy failed to stuff the guest into his room and brought him here to have a breakdown. If I have to carry this boil into the ballroom myself, I will. I reach down to clap a friendly hand on his shoulder and guide him smoothly towards the open bar. Passing one of the tables, he takes one of the folded invitations laid at each chair. Then another, and another, tearing through them wildly. You're here too. He turns to me, but something has already snapped in the mind of this broken man. I can almost see it collapse in his eyes, 
like a suspension bridge disintegrating, taking every passenger vehicle crossing, every rational thought he has with it. No, not in here. Not in here! Is he pleading with me, or some phantom of his own divining? He gibbers his mantra as he stares in horror. His prayer will not fall on deaf ears. Prayers don't go unanswered at the hotel, but it is rarely an answer sought. Someone is listening. Whatever answer Robert Watson seeks, he finally decides he won't find it in here. And he runs. For the first time I can recall, a guest runs back out the lobby doors and away from death and madness. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to the hotel. I can hear him screaming in the lobby. I run to the party room. The bee and pollen room. I thought the guest would follow me, maybe, but instead he just... went crazy. Just a little. I push my hat to the back of my head so it doesn't fall off when I creep around to peek. The guest... He's running away from the owner. He's so scared. He's scared of something the owner is saying, maybe. Maybe he's just afraid of him because he's big. But whatever he sees is so scary, he keeps going. Even though it's dark outside and cold and storming, he runs out of the lobby doors. I fold my arms around myself, thinking about that dark, cold night. Darker and colder than my closet, even. I don't want to go out there and get the guest, but if my manager asks me to... I'll have to. But... As soon as the guest runs out one door, he immediately runs back inside the door next to it. Where? No. He turns around and runs back out the door, but it just leads him right back inside. Back out again. Back in again. He tries over and over until... What is this place? He knows... He knows. He's just standing there breathing hard. My manager and the owner are talking to him again. I can't hear what they're saying, but... The guest... He sees me watching him from the party room and... He knows... He's trapped like me, like us. I step out and straighten my hat 
on my head. I hold out my hand, inviting him in. It still is my hand, not a corpse's hand, not a rotten hand, my hand. It's rather cold, actually. I wouldn't mind some heat. The owner guides him toward me. I can see he's squeezing his shoulder really tight. I drop my eyes and stay just outside the ballroom. My manager nods and waits at her desk for the rest of the party guests to arrive. I think maybe they're already here. Four. The reality of his situation, or some version of it, has finally sunk in. I suggest a drink. Though there are tables set for dozens around the large dance floor, I steer him to the bar. His feet hardly touch the ground, and we glide to the thick hardwood stools. I pour him something harsh from a bottle taken from the mirrored bar back. Whatever it is smells so strongly, it forces its way into his skull before he takes the first sip. His second sip takes the entire glass. I pour him another, and he drinks it quickly, but evenly, as he nods to himself and takes in the spectacle of the room. I have no idea if the aesthetics are pleasing or not, but when he finishes his drink, he turns to me and smiles. I pour him another. It really does take the edge off. He throws it at me, and I feel glass shatter around my skull. Stinging liquor drips off me onto the bar. I don't move. He doesn't move. He just stares at me, grinning, waiting, testing me like a child. I grab another glass and fill it with what he needs. He raises it to me before downing it all and throwing the glass across the room, shattering it against a violet neon light. He then sets about the room, destroying anything he can, tearing tablecloths away, shattering handfuls of neon tubing and champagne flutes bare-fisted, not caring about the blood pouring now from his hands. I think I begin to understand these guests, and this place, this hotel. Breaking the human mind, their will, their sanity, is not something to be done and finished. Again and again they break, like these glasses, like this room at the bloody hands of Robert Watson. There is no end to how much we can twist and shatter them. As many rooms as there are in the hotel, there are depths of fracture we can lower a mind and body to. Here they die, again and again, and only now do I finally understand. Seeing firsthand this guest get broken, mind and body, I finally understand that there is no end to how much pain they can endure. He throws a hefty bottle across the great room, and before it can shatter the mirrored bar back, I catch my reflection, 
and see my naked skull grinning back at me. Three. I understand the anger and the loneliness. I watch him, drunk and shouting, trying to destroy the room, trying to break everything outside himself so he doesn't feel so broken inside. It doesn't hurt his hands when the glass shatters and cuts into him. It already hurts, and the glass just lets him bleed. He's tearing away at the shiny paper that hangs everywhere. He tips over the tables if he can, tripping over the chairs. Sometimes he beats his head and hands on the statues or with the champagne bottles at the tables. <laughs> we can make this room nicer. Lend a hand. Lend a hand. <laughs> Lend a hand. I don't lend a hand. The owner doesn't lend a hand. We both just watch him try and tear his way free of this place. He can't escape it, but he's going to try and tear it apart with him. Hold on. Ashtray? I point to one of the silver ashtrays lined up by the stage. He nods at me and bashes himself in the face with it. He spits some teeth onto the floor. Parts of teeth, anyway. He throws the ashtray at the big stage lights. And they explode all over him. He crawls up onto the stage where the band would be if it was really a party. I smell something dank and familiar. I smell death. And when I turn around and see my manager standing behind me, rotting and greasy, I let myself smile just a little. Two. Robert Watson showed up at the hotel tonight for a New Year's Eve party of one. A party we spent hours waiting for. A party he now seems set on spoiling. Just like my lobby boy. Spoiled. A putrid mess on the cusp of collapse. We're all turning now, as we watch Mr. Watson turn himself. He's slurring incoherently and shouting hoarsely at the nearly empty room. Drunk on madness and furious that he's going to die, as he must surely know he's going to. As certainly as we all know it. Bleeding and rotting together, ready to ring in a new year that will not come for any of us. A lonely party to end a lonely life. Or a lonely death. 
He's doubled over now, bleeding freely on the stage, panting out globs of red and black gore from somewhere broken inside of him. Even though we stand the entire length of the bee and pollen room, when he falls silent, he sees us. Whatever part of him that was still him, that wasn't pain or madness, came shining back. I will never know what Mr. Robert Watson saw on the stage that night. I will never know what he seemed to hear all night, nor what grips him anew now, seizing his insane raising. But I do know that through whatever nightmare he found himself in, his mind was clear then. And without another word or whisper, just before whatever midnight means here, Robert Watson collapsed and died. We never hear the end of our own countdown. Death can be as incomplete as life. That's the final thought that passes through my mind before my body and all of our bodies give out like Mr. Watson, leaving behind only a wet spot and a faint smell. Our final decoration for our first ever hotel New Year's Eve party. The Hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Whitten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Whitten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. And special guest star E.K. Dagenfield as Robert Watson. Music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri, and special guest composer Zach Tatum-Drake. <laughs> <laughs>